Let's go. Let's go. Oh, no. Do you want to? Sorry, sorry. I'll let you. I'm excited and I feel relaxed and I'm ready to party. Don't say sorry. You don't need to do that. You don't need to apologize. It's a fucked up female habit. You don't need to be sorry for anything ever. Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? I don't have rage issues! I have nothing to prove to you. When I'm good, I'm very good. But when I'm bad, I'm better. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where it's the holidays and we are celebrating. Yeah, holidays. <laughs> I'm Karen Peterson, joined as always by the very happy and excited Lauren Humphreys Brooks. <laughs> I just I keep like. on cracking myself up. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I am amused by me. I'm sorry if no one else is. Like I, I just decide, like I entertain myself. <laughs> I love that we've been doing this podcast for like over five years, and uh, you still find new ways to be very enthusiastic about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. I like talking about movies. Talk it. These these movies are particularly excited about. At least, definitely one of them, and the other two I think are really fascinating. So mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, it's it's December, and uh, that means it's holiday time. There's lots of holidays in the month of December, but uh, of course, the ones that that most people talk about the most are Christmas and New Year's. Um, and so we saw that Criterion was actually doing a holiday noir collection this month and we thought well hey what a better way than to you know what a better way to transition from november into christmas time or the holiday season with you know than with the holiday noir collection so we picked a couple of movies sorry i'm a little out of sorts today so i feel like i keep not knowing how to talk but which is usually Saturday mornings for me, but it feels particularly bad today. So yeah, we'll see how this it's, goes. It's, it's all right, Karen. It's all right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Just keep going. All right. You're I'm going to roll with it. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, so we thought this would be really fun. Um, so holiday noir basically by definition just means like noirish movies set during the holidays and um, the Criterion Collection has a bunch of them, but we were also kind of looking through the list of like, well, what qualifies as um, mm-hmm. holiday noir? And, you know, there's also the neo-noir movies, too. So things like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang would be a holiday noir film. Yeah. Or uh, what are some other more recent examples? I was trying to think of... Oh, uh, LA Confidential. I oh, think, yeah, fits mm-hmm. fits into that. Not, I mean, that's not recent, but um, but that's I mean, that's it's more that recent than up. the forties. <laughs> yeah, the the whole concept of holiday noir is kind of weird because, and even a number of the films that are on the Criterion Channel, and and uh, I think uh, at least one of the films we're talking about today, it feels like the holidays are more of a just kind of a function, right? They're not mm-hmm. how integrated are they into the plot of of the story? So it's. I think that it's it's more that like element of contrast that we associate, you know, oh, it's the holidays with the bright lights and the the snow and all those things. And then you've got these really dark, heavy or violent stories or um, stories that are just a bit grittier or meaner or something like that. And so you, it develops this interesting contrast, um, 
especially when it comes to talking about characters that are uh, kind of living on the edge of society more and don't, you know, get a lot of presents at Christmas, are scrambling for money, all of those things. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so it's a, it's an interesting contrast, I think, that develops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, I mean, just like noir isn't really a genre, holiday noir is is just kind of a a mood within the mood i guess yeah that is mm-hmm. noir and so uh so we thought it'd be fun to talk about today and so we picked out a couple of movies that i mean we can part of our discussion i think will be is this really noir <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um but they all definitely take place during the holidays um and so we're talking about a movie that lauren apparently has mentioned once or twice on this podcast <laughs> i i don't really remember um <laughs> it's not like i've watched this movie every single fucking year for like <laughs> it's not like i watched the entire film series on occasion <laughs> including the one that takes place on new year's <laughs> well it is the thin man from 1934 and um I know that you love this movie so much and I it's one that I haven't gotten around to but I wasn't like there's this is the case with a lot of movies like there's just so much to see that there's lots of movies I just haven't gotten to yet and it's Mm -hmm. not because I don't want to and it's not because I've been avoiding them or that I think I won't like them this is definitely a movie that I mean you've been so enthusiastic about it and I knew it would be kind of up my alley too and I would probably enjoy it too and so I finally watched it for the first time this week and yes, I did. I enjoyed it. It's so fun. Nick and Nora are great. <laughs> like <laughs> she is exactly how I am in relationships. <laughs> That's just like, interesting. Okay. Like um, I'm just gonna <laughs> laugh at you right to your face, not even to pretend not to, you know, like it's great. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well- yeah, I, I think that I think that what makes the Thin Man is Nick and Nora. Like the the plot itself, I think is very strong, and it's it's a good mystery, um, and it's got great character actors in it as well. You've got um, and now I'm blanking on her name, Margaret Margaret O'Sullivan, Maureen O'Sullivan, uh, Maureen O'Sullivan. Sorry, um, Mia Farrow's mom. Yeah, uh, Cesar Romero. You've got a lot of um, character actors that are very recognizable from that period of the '30s who are just like known. But really, the center is is Nick and Nora and their banter and their humor and their high functioning alcoholism. <laughs> uh, and and just one of the things you love that I love about it is that it's a married couple in a uh, a 1930s film who really like each other, like not just are married and just are kind of together. It's like, they really enjoy being around each other. They match each other really well. They're funny together. Um, They obviously just have the same kind of perspective on the world. They enjoy drinking together. They enjoy like bantering together, all of those things. And so, so much of the film is very much about the two of them just having a good time and being like, and we're going to investigate this murder. (laughs) Yeah, like they truly enjoy each other and playing together. That's the thing. Like yeah. they're not just a couple that works well together. They they enjoy teasing each other and and uh they but they truly truly care about each other too. And um and- Yeah, there's 
there's so much trust between them too like Mm -hmm. there's a scene where she walks in and he's in a room like in a closed off room with a door shut with some you know cute young girl and she knows right away like nothing's going on (laughs) she like doesn't question it you know exactly they make faces at each other and Mm -hmm. um and the girl's like oh i'm so sorry she's just like oh no whatever i don't care (laughs) yeah it, and it, it isn't like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm fine if my husband has an affair. It's more like, I know that nothing's going on. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I know you do watch this movie, you know, pretty much yearly, oh, but yeah. what are your memories of like the first time you watched it or early times that you, that you watched it? Like at this, what point did you, did this really become like your thing? I, I, I think that, um, this my experience with this one was kind of odd actually because the first time I saw it was actually in I was a I don't remember how old I was I was a teenager um, in a film series that was being shown in one of the local theaters and this was a kind of like big old picture house now it's used as primarily for like stage shows and stuff like that but they did this film series over the summer that was like classic films so they showed things like Spartacus and Lawrence of Arabia. And they showed the Thin Man in uh, a double feature with the Maltese Falcon. Oh, fun. Um, and so the first time I ever saw the Thin Man was on this massive screen. I had not heard of the Thin Man. The reason why my parents and I went was because of the Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but we stayed for the second film and it was just so much fun and so different. Like I practically forgot about the Maltese Falcon. It was just like, Oh, I love this. What is this? Uh, And then of course there, there are, I think I'm trying to remember how many films there are in the series. I think there's seven films Um, and they they're very in quality, but particularly the next couple of films following the Thin Man are again, building on that relationship between Nick and Nora. And there's so much fun. So it's it's just one of those films that I like going back to because I like that banter, that screwball comedy aspect of the two of them. Um, the fact that, you know, they're just really charming on screen together. And and I think that the rest of the film around them is entertaining enough and kind of off kilter enough that even though I know what the mystery is, I know what the story is. I still just enjoy experiencing it. Yeah, like I said, this was my first time watching it this week, uh, actually yesterday, (laughs) and um, it was one of those moments where I was just like so mad at myself that I hadn't made time for this before because it is positively delightful. Like, I mean, all the things that we've said about Nick and Nora, for one thing, but also like the the dog is so cute and the and the mystery (laughs) yes and the mystery at the center of it is is an interesting one it's you know it's it's um you know you've got these interesting characters very fascinating people and and it's a fun like kind of whodunit too that culminates in a big you know dinner party reveal and it's it's like all the things that i love about movies all in one movie and i was just like <laughs> why have i not watched the sinner oh i'm so glad i would have been <laughs> i i would have been fascinated if you didn't like it because i've been like why please explain to me but i'm very glad that you did <laughs> me too so yeah so um this does take place at christmas time and so i guess first one since we are talking holiday noir um one question i have for you is how do you think that the christmas time setting um affects the the movie and kind of sets the scene for the story 
I yeah, I was thinking about that in in watching it this time because I'd even I always forget that it takes place at Christmas time, even though Christmas is like a major it's a plot point that runs throughout the film. Um, because it takes place really over the course of a couple of days. It's not, uh, and and in fact, like I say, the next the next film after this, Nick and Nora go back to San Francisco, and it's New Year's. So none of this is taking place over like a long period of time. Um, one of the functions I think uh, of of this of setting it at Christmas is that you get that that kind of exuberance and the sort of at atmosphere of celebration. So the the big scene in their apartment where they're having a Christmas party and people are coming in and out, reporters are showing up, cops are showing up, all of the different members of this family are appearing. And meanwhile, they've got this like whole group of people that just keep on appearing in their apartment to get drunk and have a Christmas party. And so you get that kind of activity and exuberance and fun that we sort of associate with the holidays. Um, and so I think that that's that's one of the functions that that Christmas has. And it also it also limits the time. It very much sets up here is over the course of, you know, the day before Christmas, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And then maybe a couple of days after that, uh, the, all of this kind of comes to fruition. And um, so in, in a certain sense, Christmas is the setting. And it's also it's also kind of the MacGuffin, because the reason why and I'm, why am I blanking on her name right now? The Marino Sullivan character, Dorothy. Dorothy. Yeah. Um, the reason why she begins to get really concerned about her father is because it's Christmas time and she hasn't heard from him. And and it's reaching the points like this is this is not normal for him. You know, yeah, he often goes off, but it's strange. He's behaving strangely. I haven't heard from him. Why haven't I heard from him? And that's the point at which, uh, you know, kind of the main plot gets moving. Yeah. So I don't know, what was your impression of this? Because there's there's a lot of events that center around the holidays. Yeah, this so. is one of those things where, I mean, the 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 basic plot could have taken place at any time. This is, I'm sorry to do this. I'm sorry to bring this up. But this is like the diehard argument where yeah. it's like <laughs> it, it takes place <laughs> during Christmas time, during a Christmas party. But does, you know, like does Christmas... The fact that it's at Christmas actually really changed the the story. And I think in some ways it does. Like it does have an impact on on what happens. Cause like you say, like the fact the fact that I mean he's he's her father goes on this trip and he's like, Yeah, I'll be home in time for the wedding, but then he doesn't come back. But part of the reason that she's concerned is not because of the wedding, it's because of the holidays. And um, and there's just something different too about the holidays and and just the the general tone and mood of the holidays too that i think overshadows yeah. or uh, that's not quite the right word but you know just kind of like adds a layer on on the story so so while i wouldn't necessarily say this has to take place at christmas time or it doesn't work it's um it definitely does establish a very specific mood and and tenor for um, mm -hmm. for the movie so well, there, there is, again, that contrast, I think, that, and, and in fact, if you look at it, Christmas, you know, is typically in film, it's about families, right? It's families coming yeah. together, et cetera. And you've got this incredibly dysfunctional family uh, <laughs> at the center of it, where you've got, like, a mother who is crazy, right? You've got the son and daughter, the, the son is, like, obsessed with the psychological theories. You've got, you know, the... the um, uh, that guy was funny by the way he's so funny <laughs> gilbert i love gilbert 
but it's it's an off kilter family, right? They yeah. and in fact, part of it is that, and as the film goes on, one of the concerns that Dorothy develops is my entire family is crazy. I can't get married because our children will be like psychopaths for something. <laughs> and and it's it's incredibly upsetting for her. And so you've got that with with the family, and then you've got Nick and Nora and Asta, who are a family and are a happy one. They're very like, they don't have a child or anything like that, but they match each other. They're comfortable with each other. They're crazy themselves, but they're crazy in a way that's very positive. Um, and that's just very happy. It's very like, you know, we're having a good time. And and so I think that that, you know, Christmas, again, you don't have to have Christmas in order to have all of those elements, but I think Christmas kind of, the idea of it brings that out a little bit more um, and kind of gives more of an opportunity of showing those contrasts. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I would I would not call the Thin Man a Christmas movie. Yeah, it takes yeah. place at Christmas, and Christmas is the reason Nick and Nora are in New York. But you know, yeah. again, you could have other reasons why they're there at other times of the year too. So, but yeah, um, should we talk some specifics about the movie? I don't, I don't know. I, I I don't know what we want to do for this one because I want people to watch the movie if they haven't seen it yet because everyone should watch it because it's really delightful and I can't wait to watch the second one now. Um, <laughs> but also, I mean, I don't know. What do you want to do? What do you want to talk about? Uh, let's let's talk about alcohol just a little okay. bit because <laughs> because this is a film I you know we were both making jokes on slack about like oh this is about this is a story about two very high functioning alcoholics mm-hmm. <laughs> um and that's exactly what it is and it's it's interesting so this this film is like 1934 so it's right on kind of the the pre-code post-code edge right and it does have a lot of jokes sex jokes alcohol jokes etc that are not going to be possible within the next couple of years. So it's sort of at, the at next that. couple of months. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of at that at that point. But I'm always amazed. I, I this this time around, I counted the number of drinks that <laughs> Nick has just in the bedroom scene, right? Yeah. Which is not a long <laughs> scene. And I think I came out with between six and seven of like actually and four of them are after he gets shot <laughs> and just but just watching that whole progression it's just like this man is intoxicated the entire time like there is not a point at which he is not halfway inebriated mm-hmm. yeah um, well and they make jokes about that too and i mean the first time we meet nora it's when like we've already met nick because he got involved in this 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 missing person's case and um and so they meet at a restaurant and he's got a martini in front of him and she sits down and she's like, how many is that? And you get like, not having seen this before, not knowing what's coming, you, you know, it very much looks like a wife going like, oh gosh, you're drinking again. Right. And he says, well, this is my sixth. And she's like, all right. So she orders six drinks and she's like, just line them up right here. I don't need to catch up. And, and then the next scene is, is her asking what hit me. And he says the last martini. Like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it it is that you know it's actually amazingly enough, and I I, didn't, I would not argue that these are people to emulate in terms of their <laughs> their uh, their alcohol consumption, but it is one of those instances where it actually it shows it as 
being a perfectly positive and fine thing for them to do that like they're happy they're not mean to each other they're not mean to anybody else they're having fun and they match each other in in that sense and so you get all of these jokes about alcohol you get him stealing her drinks you know like all of this stuff you know her her talking about oh we need to order more booze you know just uh, like there are all of these moments of like where it could turn into you know oh he's a raging alcoholic and so she is like yeah but they're happy like they have a good time with it and that's that is somewhat unusual to see in films in fact one of the other films that we're going to talk about deals with alcoholism in a different way mm-hmm. um yeah. well see, and I, as you say they're high functioning there's they're, it's yeah. not controlling their lives they're still able to do uh, all the things that they need to do yeah they're happy they're having fun like um i i really do like the fact that william powell plays the character as being half drunk most of the time mm-hmm. but is still very present and i think you see that in when he goes to um uh, he goes to the workshop and that's the moment where the film turns a little more serious and is a little bit more like you know this is actually dangerous uh, uh you know he's going to meet someone that might be a murderer Mm-hmm. there's all kinds of, of issues under that. And it it's a moment where you suddenly see both of them much more sober and much more being like, you know, she's, she's going like, I don't want you to die. <laughs> yeah. Cause I like you. I like having you around. <laughs> uh, right. And, he's, and, and he's sort of like, well, I'm not going to die. So there, <laughs> uh, but it, it, it is that moment where you're like, okay, he's actually a good detective. He's actually smart about what he's doing he's not um he's not a clown he's not just wandering around in an alcoholic haze um and it it strikes a really good balance i think Mm -hmm. yeah that's very sweet i like it when she tells him well i'm used to you Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah it's just such a good movie and their relationship alone is is enough of a reason to to watch it and enjoy it because like we were saying i mean it's honestly it's it's unusual to and it's unfortunate i think a little bit that it's so unusual but to see a movie where you have a couple a married couple that just enjoys being around each other it's like there's no drama in their relationship there's no imbalance in their relationship Mm -hmm. and um and they just get to to have fun with each other and work together very very well yeah they they banter i i also i really like the scene where they're giving each other christmas presents and he's lying on the couch like she's obviously she's given him a pellet gun (laughs) and he's lying on the couch shooting at christmas ornaments and Mm -hmm. it's she's got this expression on her face is just like i can't believe this man that i'm married to but it's not condescending it's not like stop acting like a child it's just like oh my god <laughs> yeah. like are are you proud of yourself he's like yeah <laughs> she's very amused by him yes and likewise like they they just yeah they just enjoy each other and mm-hmm. yeah um so i'm glad i finally got to watch it i'm glad you did too it's a, it was a bummer a though because film. it had been on max until all of a sudden yesterday it was not and i had to rent it but it was worth it no and now I'm like, i should just buy it yeah I thought, oh, oh man, yeah, it all left the Thin Max Man films. apparently just like November thirtieth. <laughs> Jesus, all because all of the Thin Man films I think were on Max for a while. A couple of them still are, but not this one. Huh? Yeah, That's so wild. I ended up having to pay for it, but it was worth it. Wow. Yeah. So 
anyway well, de- definitely check out the next the I, I think they begin to fall off in quality nearing the end but the next couple of films are very fun cool awesome i'm excited to see more um any other thoughts about the thin man no i just want to tell people to watch if especially if you haven't seen it like it's an yeah. hour and a half it's not a long film yeah yeah and it's just it's, it's just fun i mean it is a there is a murder mystery involved and stuff but and, and like chaos and craziness but it's uh yeah it's it's just an entertaining watch so mm-hmm. um okay so the next film we wanted to talk about was uh, a movie called repeat performance from 1947 and uh this is part of the criterion holiday noir collection which was kind of actually how it came to our attention i think mm-hmm. had you had you seen this one before i i had i'd seen it on i watched it on kino um and i'd seen it like there and i was like oh that sounds kind of weird <laughs> right mm-hmm. and then i just pretty much ignored it because it just sounded off like i was just i don't know what what that what that means um and then and then yeah and then watching i've never seen it before it's i don't how do you feel about this film i don't know how i feel about it i kind of liked it but i by the end i felt a little bit like i didn't feel satisfied in the ending yeah and so it just kind of leaves off on this weird note that just feels like oh something's off but Um, But I really enjoyed a lot of what happens leading up to that. So Mm -hmm. let's just let's just explain what this movie is for people who haven't maybe haven't heard of it or seen it. Um, So basically, it's New Year's Eve 1946, like going into January 1st, 1947. And there's this woman, Sheila Page, played by uh, Joan Leslie, and she has just murdered her husband. Like the gun is in her hand. And she's, you know, pretty freaked out about it, understandably. And she goes to a friend and um, is, you know, trying to figure out what to do about the fact that she just murdered her husband and he's home dead. And she ends up making a wish that she could relive 1946 all over again and avoid all the mistakes that happened throughout the year. Because apparently it was just that was kind of a pivotal year where a lot of stuff went very wrong. And because it is New Year's Eve and she makes a wish and it's like apparently a magical time, uh, she gets her wish and she wakes up on New Year's Eve 1945 and does, in fact, relive the entire year knowing how certain things are going to play out. But Mm -hmm. some things don't go the same way. And so um, so basically it's her like kind of throughout this year she kind of knows what's going to happen next but not always because certain things change along the way so yeah it's an interesting journey and i think that it was an interesting um interesting story with the characters but yeah like i said it just it for me it it left me cold in the end just because i i it didn't feel like there was a satisfying ending it felt yeah. it, it like something just was it was like they hit like a weird non-resolved note at the end yeah, they, it's a big swing in a lot of ways because it is this like magical element, right? Where she's suddenly going to relive the entire year with like, as you say, with the knowledge of what happened in like previously. Yeah. So, so much of the film is about her trying to engineer it 
so that those things don't happen again. And she she brings some people, she like tells her friend, um, it's William Williams played by Richard Basehart, who I'm going to talk about in a minute. But um, uh, she tells him like, basically here's what happened, right? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't believe her. No one believes that she knows what is going to happen because um, that sounds nuts <laughs> it is yeah and she even says just like this sounds crazy but this is true like yeah uh and and then so much of the film is is about her kind of trying to engineer this everything so that it works out better so it's like well if i just don't go to london if i just don't do this if we never meet this woman if you know i i keep my husband away from you know take my husband to california all of this stuff and what happens is that it spirals more and more and so the things that happened don't happen but they do right they Um, still happen just in a different way yeah and and i think a lot of the film really is about um you know even just not considering the magical element it's really about trying to control yourself and other people in ways that you can't and the and that that was one of the issues that i had with it is that i realized partway through the film just like i don't like her very much like she's so and i and it's because she's so desperate to fix everything and to be certain that what happened at the end of the at the end of the year doesn't happen again that she just tries to exert all of this manic control over herself and especially over her husband and it just gets worse and worse and worse and she can't do it she's she ignores all of the warning signs mm-hmm. um and all of the the things like as he becomes more as he becomes more and more of an alcoholic as he like develops a relationship with another woman all of these things she just keeps on trying to shove him back into this space that in order to save him in order to save herself but it's it's just it just results in him getting angrier and angrier and more and more in pain and it's you know and it spirals out of control and it started as her fault too like this even though everything plays out you know somewhat differently by the end it's her fault because there it's it starts with a new year's eve party and he's on the wagon and she encourages him like oh you can have just one drink and he's like no mm-hmm. no no i can't and he, she's like yes you can just do it and it's like because she's so relieved that he's alive and that she gets this this chance all over that she's just like yeah let's celebrate but that is what sets off the chain of events that ends up happening that, you know, leads yeah. down this bad path. Well, and her and her being, from his perspective, completely weirdly rude to people that show up mm-hmm. um, and being like, I want this woman out of my house. I hate her. all of these things. It's just like, and, and what it winds up doing is pushing him towards the other woman. Right. Um, because he's like, why are you behaving like this? This is this is crazy. I want to talk to other people, you know. And it, it's it's interesting where her culpability lies and where his culpability lies as well, because he makes terrible decisions. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's but, not a good guy. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's it. So it, it is this like balance between her trying so hard to control everything and not being able to and him being controlled and not understanding why. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you do get the sense that, you know, there's, there's some, there's some bits of the film that are about like, you know, you can't change fate and stuff like that, but some of it is about ignoring the reality of other people and just right. trying to manipulate them into a position where you, you think you can fix whatever the problem is. The problem is that her husband is an alcoholic that he has 
um, a lot of self-esteem issues and that he feels very uh, kind of ignored and subsumed under her stardom, which is not her fault, right? That's his issue. Right. But she ignores that and she just keeps on trying to manipulate circumstances rather than actually addressing the reality, the emotional reality of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's where it's like, okay, the movie tries to tell us that it's about the fact that like fate is fate and you can't change it. But the reality of what we see um, is that so much of, of what is just kind of chalked up to being fate isn't at all. And it's it's an interesting thing because I'm not sure if the film is trying to subtly make that point or if it accidentally makes that point. It seems to be in in you know intrinsic to the story itself, like whether or not it's trying to do that. But it that might be where some of that that weird that lack of satisfaction comes in. Just like you're trying to make one point, but I think you're actually making another, but you don't realize it. Yeah, you know, right? Um, yeah, it's it's. It's very odd. I did like the the shifting of sympathies because, like I said, I didn't like her for a lot of the film. Like I was, I just like I know I'm following this woman. I'm supposed to feel feel sympathetic to her, and I do to a certain degree because her husband becomes more and more of an asshole. Oh yeah, but it's also, horrible. but also, she needs to stop trying to control people. Mm-hmm. She needs to stop trying to control people and stop trying to like force things to go a certain way, like go the way that she wants them to. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's a very interesting idea. And I and and to go back to the, the whole question of the holidays, so different holidays do mark out what happens throughout the film. So you start with New Year's and then you go through, and I think the, the, the ones that are referenced directly are Thanksgiving. So we know that it's November. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then of course, Christmas and then New Year's. And that's where everything, you know, has completely spiraled out of control at that point. And you realize that, we're coming to the same conclusion, basically. Yeah. Um, one of the things I would have been interested in, and, and I wish that the film had done it, is I wish that we had actually seen some of the original events. Mm-hmm. So as in, you know, what actually happened over the course of that year that led to, you know, him having an affair, um, him trying to kill her, her shooting him, etc. And then get to see her trying to alter that history. Right. Um, because yeah. most of what happens in the film, the, in fact, all of the film is simply her do over. Right. And I would have loved to see what came before that in order to draw that contrast. Just like, Oh, I understand why she's behaving like this because in this scene, you know, this is what actually happened in the first, the first time around. So she's trying to fix it. Mm-hmm. But uh, what we get is like, basically our assumptions about what happened and what she and the other characters tell us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of those things where like, so I don't have this experience very often. In fact, hardly ever when I'm watching um, films from this time period, but this, this was a movie where I actually thought, you know, I would kind of like to see a a remake of this, like a, a modern remake of this movie. And I know we have lots of movies about like people getting to go back and relive stuff or whatever, but um, like this story interested me enough that I would, I would love to see it Mm -hmm. done again, but by someone who really is going to put the thought and care into it, I don't want to remake for remake's sake, but like someone who's really going to take the time to address some of those things. 
I would be interested to see that. Yeah, it has a lot of it has a lot of potential. That's why I think, you know, I I don't want to turn people off from watching the film because it is it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it works. I agree with you. I do not think that it works, but I was interested to like watch it not working. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because like the journey along the way is is a pretty fascinating one. And I think that's because the characters are are interesting to watch. I mean, Barney is an asshole. I mean, that never changes. But um, but all the side characters yeah. that you see along the way, some of them are also jerks, but they're interesting to watch, you know? They're interesting jerks. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think the Barney at the beginning, you can kind of see, like, they, he loves her. You know, he does yeah. at, at the start of it. And, and he's also, you know, really has some issues about his own his own art and like all kinds of things, but you, you do see him kind of falling into this, the combination of alcoholism and basically, and basically self-loathing that then gets turned outward onto hating her. Yeah. Um, and, and I did for a while feel sorry for him because he doesn't know what's happening first of all. And he is an alcoholic and he's trying not to be, he's trying to be better. Um, and he does feel like, you know, his art has been sort of, shunted to the side he can't finish his play etc and and so I, I did feel a little bit for him but then by the end he, he's just so horrible yeah by the end and there's so, nothing redeeming about him and so unwilling to take any kind of responsibility for the choices that he made that's mm-hmm. the other thing because he does make choices throughout and those are not things that his wife controls right and and he's just like well you know this is all your fault it's just like i think it's I think a good bit of it is your fault too, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's there's some culpability on both sides here. Um yeah. I I did want to say something about Richard Basehart uh as William Williams because uh he's a secondary character. But I, in watching this film, I was just like, who is that? I'm like, <laughs> I was just like, who is that man? Like, he is really interesting. I want can we focus on him a little bit more? Because I want to see more of him. And and I and then I looked at it, I was like, oh, that's Richard Basehart. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, but I, I just really liked that character and the fact that Basehart himself really puts a lot of emotional nuance and psychological nuance into a secondary character um, who isn't at all the focus, but is sort of a part of everything else there. It's like, not quite like he's in a different film, but like there's there's something else going on that, that, like I say, I was distracted. I was like, I want to know more about him and see where his story goes because his story sounds really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I really, I really liked that. Like I was quite taken by that character. Yeah, I was too. I really wanted to know more. I would love to have seen his story play out. Like I wish it had been more of a, two-hander where it's like mm-hmm. her story where she knows everything that's that's coming and she's able to like kind of warn warn people about certain things even though like we said it changes but then his side where she's telling him this is what's going to happen to you and he's just like what <laughs> you know and but seeing <laughs> how he kind of uh reacts to that and doesn't and how he like from his perspective when he's seeing that certain things that she says turn out to be correct and what that does to him yeah yeah because he ends in a very different place very uh uh which i thought was really interesting and is and sad and Mm -hmm. um and is just one of those things i was like 
yeah, I'm I'm very I was just very intrigued by that character. I wanted more of him and to see to see where else he went. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Fun to see Lovey Howell pop up. <laughs> she shows up on screen. I was like, wait a second, that's Natalie Schaefer. <laughs> it sure was. <sighs> Any other thoughts about uh, repeat performance? Well, I, I recommend it to people. Like at least check it out. It is it is a it's very different and it's very different for this time period. Um, and particularly in regards to it being a, a noir and a mystery to a certain degree, because like, you know, we get films like It's a Wonderful Life and stuff like that. But this one is very goes in a different direction. And I, I think it is worth experiencing, even if, you know, neither one of us are, are very like, yes, this is a truly great film or anything like that. Yeah, well, and it's, again, only an hour and a half, so it's not a big commitment. And I do think that it's it's worth your time because there is some really interesting stuff that they do in this movie. Mm-hmm. So. so now I move on to our third film, and I, this is where, okay, whenever we talk about our movies, we tend to go in the order of release. And this is one where, uh, if I'd been thinking about it before we started recording, I would have actually done this one first and ended with The Thin Man. <laughs> because uh this is a big old downer (laughs) let's end on a depressing note (laughs) just gets progressively darker it really does it really does what were we thinking um so the the third movie that we wanted to talk about is they live by night from 1948 directed by nicholas ray and um it uh yeah, this is also in the Holiday Noir collection on Criterion. And um, it does star Farley Granger, who you might recognize if you've ever seen a Hitchcock movie, particularly what was he in Rope and Strangers on a Train. And yes, yeah, just those two. Um, I think so. Okay. Anyway, uh, he's been yeah, in those. As, as far as I can remember. Uh, yes. Yeah, so those, those two, but those okay. are those are pretty pretty big ones big most ones, people yeah. have seen those if you if you've if you like hitchcock you've probably seen at least one or probably both of those anyway um he's guy from strangers on a train so i don't even know what to say about this movie so it basically <laughs> he plays this guy named bowie who uh he's young he um he was in prison for murder um for helping um like like he well yeah for a murder he kind of helped with when he was 16 years old and he's just stuck in prison but he escapes with a couple of bank robbers and uh ends up meeting this girl and then when he's involved in another bank robbery with these two guys then stuff goes down and he runs off with the girl and they go off and hide and um doesn't it's not smooth sailing this is not a rom-com <laughs> it, it is it's it's very much that kind of you know youth on the run sort of yeah. film. And it, it and it's very much like a kind of it's directed by nicholas rice it's very much a precursor to rubble without a cause in a lot of ways mm-hmm. yeah um, totally but it it is just like those the, these tragic kids who are trapped in a horrible system where you know He's he was 16 when he committed this murder and he's put in prison. It's obviously warped him 
And he's and then he's also connected to these two other men who are much older and are kind of bullies and sort of push him around and push him to commit more and more crimes. And he's got this moment of sort of possible salvation with his girl. And but even then, you're just like, they're doomed. This is like it. it is very much a noir. It's just like these are people who are caught up in fate, essentially. They are not going to survive. They're not going to escape unscathed. Um, It isn't going to be a happy ending. And you know that really right from the very beginning of the film. But I I think it's a really, it's a really well-made film and it's a well-acted film. And it's very, it's sad because it's it's this very like emotion. They are happy together. They find this happiness that really neither one of them had. Um, at any point in their lives before, but it's still this this constant, you know, fate and fear that is hanging over them that it isn't going to end well. And they more or less know that for a lot of the film. They recognize this position that they're in. Yeah. Yeah. They run off together. They hop on a bus. They end up at a, a, a bus stop, like a road stop. And um, there's a guy with a chapel that performs these marriages and so they're just like let's just get married and and like so they they keep doing all these things because they're just they're young and they're you know infatuated with each other and they just want to find some they're they're searching for some semblance of like normal and and kind of a life even though they know mm-hmm. that they're not safe and there's even there's a scene because they end up hiding out in this re- like resort up in the mountains and um there's there's a part where one of the because people are looking for them and yeah. there's like it cuts to these people and they're having a conversation and one of them's talking about how like yeah for him for bowie um he's like anytime there's a knock at the door they're always going to panic about it and then it cuts mm-hmm. back to there's a knock at the door and she wakes up like freaking out because like who is that <laughs> you know and um and so yeah they uh, they they know that they're never going to be safe and even as as things go on as time goes on um and as their situation kind of becomes more precarious it's they they never get to just relax and enjoy being together and really fall in love yeah and it's it's really sad there's a scene where i think he talks about oh i just want to go to a movie with you because because he says like oh i've never had hands with a girl and with a girl in movie it's like that's so sad which is also it makes sense because he went to prison at 16 years old yeah it's it's that it's that sense of like neither one of them have had normal normal very simple experiences you know going to a movie together Mm -hmm. um being able to go out to dinner together and in fact the the and i I don't want to spoil everything that happens but there is a scene where they go out to dinner and it doesn't end well right and and it is it is that like they just want to be normal and i do think i like that we get an insight into the cops who are after them um because we know this this boy right he's any and he is very much presented as a boy these are children practically yeah um and and some of that is because he's been in prison since he was 16 years old so his growing up basically has happened in this horrible space yeah he's stunted Uh, too yeah he's so he is very much a a a child in a lot of ways in fact i didn't they keep on calling him Bowie instead of bowie and i kept on thinking she was calling him boy the entire time (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, oh no, it's Bowie. Okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> which yeah i mean i yeah people do pronounce that either ways yeah anyway yeah, um so i don't remember i was going with that he was so I, it, it is it is so much of it is about his, their youth and the fact that they haven't had a youth and that the cops are like talking about them as these hardened criminals talking about him especially as, as this hardened criminal it's like but he's not we know he's not this is a kid this is a kid who hasn't you know who doesn't really want to hurt anybody who is scared of hurting people and has been trapped into this world where he he has to practically in order to survive and he can't and even then he can't like bring himself to be a hardened criminal um in the and certainly not in the way that the other men want him to be yeah it's just not who he is and and yeah it's sad there's there's just throughout the movie there's never even when they have times where they get to kind of like catch their breath and, and pause for a minute, there's never really a sense for us as the audience that, that we get to like catch our breath and just be happy for them because it's not that kind of movie. And it's just, there's, yeah. there's always this layer of tragedy, like hanging over it, like a cloud, uh, you know, hanging over, mm-hmm. over them. But again, like you said, it, it it's, it's a good movie and it's totally worth your time. I just really wish that we had talked about this one first and so last because <laughs> it's such a downer. <laughs> Well, and, and so so much of it really is about people that are trapped. Even the mm-hmm. the older men, so Chickamaw, um, who's played by Howard De Silva, who I always every time I see Howard De Silva in a film that isn't 1776, I'm like, Ben Franklin, stop being an asshole! Like, come on, <laughs> because he's Ben Franklin. Oh, he's horrible in this too. Like as and a I as a human, not as an actor. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a great actor. He did tons of these kinds of roles too. But every time I see him, I'm like, no, you're Ben Franklin. You're <laughs> Cuddly little guy, come on! <laughs> um, so good though. And, but he's so. But there is this like underlying thing of like you know he he gets so angry that people are paying attention to the other two and not him that they're paying attention to Bowie and not him um, that they keep on describing you know him as being as having as being one eye right all of this stuff. So there's there's this undercurrent that this is again someone who has been steeped in violence his entire life in a way that probably wasn't his fault to begin with um and that it has it has warped him and it's the same thing with um the the other man uh t-dub yeah who the whole reason why he's doing everything is because he's trying to get his brother out of jail Mm -hmm. um and so it is so much of it is about these people that are trapped into this system that they did not create Right. And that has warped them and made them living normal lives completely impossible. Um, and it's it's very it's it's very sad, but it's it's very like there is that kind of undercurrent of anger of like this should not be so basically. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you get these movies from this time period that deal head on with like generational trauma and people being trapped and unable to like better their own situation because that's just the system that we live in you know and and i think that is like this movie deals with that head on in in a way that is very compelling with characters that are really interesting like like i mean chikama the one-eye guy um as he's a great actor but like oh my gosh such a such a scary mean character that it's like but you even get you kind of understand that he's he's also part of this where he's also trapped too you know like what else is he mm-hmm. gonna do 
Yeah, none of them have a choice. At right. a certain at a certain point, they don't. They, I mean, they can stop doing what they're doing, but how are they going to live? Uh, exactly. You know, how it's only they, no. Yeah, they can't go back to prison, and they can't. You know, there's there's. It's a point of like, what else are they going to do? They have to keep on going because they can't go back. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and and you get that too with uh, I'm trying to remember her name. I think it's Maddie. Uh, yeah, played by played the by sister in law. The sister-in-law, yeah, who's again such a sad character, um, but it, it could have been so simplistic, and isn't because the choices that she makes, you understand and you don't like them. But also, again, it's that being trapped within that system um, and trying so hard to get her husband freed. And her husband, I, I like the scene where they show her husband because you can see that he is completely out of it. He is whatever has been happening to him in prison, he does not, he will not be able to function in the real world, but it's, she's clinging on to her care for him and trying to save him. And um, even though it, it might not ultimately mean anything, it's, it's the, yeah, that, that whole, that whole sensation of imprisonment. Yeah. Yeah. Any yeah. other thoughts <laughs> about this one? <laughs> There is Christmas. It's involved. There is Christmas. It does. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about contrast. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, yeah. I think that that is also a very intentional choice. And I think it's a good reminder, at least for me, that Christmas isn't a happy time for everybody. And even when people try to to make the best of it, like, you know, I mean, she gives him a gift and they, you know, they try to find, they're trying to find mm-hmm. some semblance of happiness, but yeah. a lot of tragedy happens at this time of year. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a really challenging time. And I think that in, in kind of a subtle way, the, this, this film kind of gets at that too. Yeah. It's the, it's them trying to reach for normalcy. Mm-hmm. Um and and not being able to and you know they're not going to be able to but they try really hard yeah uh you know and and there's and there are other things that happen but yeah i i agree with that it is it is kind of that reminder of like it's this time when everybody should be happy and should be having fun it's like but they're not and it's and it is again me it's because of this the systems because of this thing that they're trapped in mm-hmm. yeah we did well, end on a downer, didn't we? We sure did. <laughs> we sure did. Let's uh let's finish off strong though. Um, first of all, okay, repeat performance and they live by night are part of the holiday noir collection on Criterion, um, which also includes movies like Lady in the Lake and Backfire, Blast of Silence, Roadblock. So lots of really happy Christmas movies. Um <laughs> <laughs> I can really strongly recommend uh, the film that's on there. I wouldn't be in your shoes. Mm-hmm. I watched it last night. It is it's hour and ten minutes. I was shocked by how good this movie was. Like awesome. I did, I went in being like, "Oh, it's short. I'll watch it, see if it's any good." And I was just like, "This is fucking fantastic! Like this is really interesting. I want to watch this film again." Um, so nice. I, I do strongly recommend that one to check out. Awesome. Well, there you go. There, there's a, a good movie to watch. I mean, these are all good, but you know, uh, I would yeah. not say it is a happy movie, but none of them are not happy, as, not as depressing as <laughs> they live by night. I will say that, but it is not a happy movie. 
Yeah. But uh, this is the end of the year and we do have a couple of more holiday episodes that are coming your way. And then we're going to take a couple of a week or two off, you know, for, for Christmas time. But um, next week we're going to do holiday horror. So I'm looking forward to that. We're planning on having a special guest as well. So yes. that'll be fun. Um, yeah. But uh, otherwise, I think that that's going to close things out for now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we want to thank everyone so much for listening and also for supporting the show. We particularly want to thank our patrons who really do help keep this going. Um, They are Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Judy, Karen, Cariata, Lauren, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, and Tao. If you would also like to become a patron and help support the show and get access to lots of bonus stuff, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash citizen dame and sign up there. We also do have our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod and ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash citizen dame. That's how you can support us financially, but you can also support our work by going to our website, citizendamepod.com and reading stuff. We, uh, we have some new things coming your way and going into the new year, we're going to really be, um, putting a more focused effort on some fun Mm -hmm. stuff for the website. Um, so you definitely want to check us out there. And also if you are a fan of the show and you haven't done it, or it's been a while, Go go on wherever app you listen to podcasts on. Give us a rating. Give us a like. Give us a thumbs up. Share it. Whatever it is, um, just to help other people have the joy of listening to our feminist film <laughs> ramblings. Um, and just that's that's one thing you could do to just really help us out. So, um, if you'd like to contact us, there's lots of ways you can do that too. We uh, our email is citizendamepod at gmail.com and we are on the social medias. Lots of them. Um, we're not really doing Twitter anymore. We still have our account. You can follow us there. We're going to probably keep that account until Elon makes us give it up. Um, but you know, whatever. Uh, but we're Twitter, Instagram, uh, and, um, blue sky. You can find us if you just search citizen Dame pod and then on letterboxd, we are a letterboxd HQ and there we are at citizen Dame and we do keep a running list of all the movies that we talk about for the month. Um, uh, on the podcast. And then we also linked other fun stuff and have other lists and, and things there too. So give us a follow there. You can also reach out to us individually. Lauren, where are you? I am on all the various socials at LH business. And I am also on all the various socials at Karen M Peterson. So that's going to be it for this week. And uh, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you next time. Bye. So on, sugar. Oh, Leo. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Pretty girl. Yes, she's a very nice type. You got types? Only you, darling. Lanky brunettes with wicked jaws. Leo, compliments to see you. Who is she? Oh, darling, I was hoping I wouldn't have to answer that. Come on. Well, Dorothy is really my daughter. You see, it was spring in Venice. I was so young, I didn't know what I was doing. We're all like that on my father's side. By the way, how is your father's side? Oh, it's much better, thanks. And yours? Say, how many drinks have you had? This will make six martinis. All right. Will you bring me five more martinis? Leo, line them right up here. Yes, ma'am.